Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. Today we're going to look at something in scripture that is interesting to say the least. It is needed to be taught in the body of Christ, but it is something that is very seldomly preached about these days. But I think that if it were more well understood, it might help us to have more endurance, to walk in righteousness and obedience and ever endeavor to be prepared for the coming of our Jesus. We understand that in the end there is a damnation of hell for those who remain in their sin. But even before the great and terrible day of the Lord come, that great white throne of judgment, where men are judged according to their works and their words, which are both an evidence of what they truly believed in, there is a wrath by fire coming upon the entire earth. In previous messages, we have discussed how God promised Noah that the earth would not be destroyed by flood again, but there was a prophecy given in the book of Isaiah that there would come a time when so much wickedness would overtake the earth that there would come a point at which God would have to destroy it all and start over again with a new beginning. This would be the time in which Jesus would rule from New Jerusalem. However, in keeping with his promise, he will not destroy it by the waters of a flood again, but he will instead use fire this time. Going through the scriptures, we have discussed how it will be, in fact, exactly like it was in Sodom and Gomorrah, only this will be a global destruction. So great and vast and devastating and hard to comprehend is this time period that the Bible says that few men will survive it, and even fewer, I think, are willing to preach about it because many don't even know that it is coming. And for those who do, there is not a clear understanding of what will happen. So today I want to read you some passages from the book of Isaiah that give us a description of this coming time period. I think that we can better understand it today than it could be in times past because that we better understand the destructiveness of global cataclysms that can come by the works of man's hands, by the splitting of atoms, by the tampering with of God's creation through genetic modification. We can better understand geological and celestial devastation that can come in an instant and change everything. But in the end, none of that really matters because if God decides, he can cast down fire and brimstone from the very altars of heaven, as is suggested in the time of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now to set the stage for the point at which this takes place, we have to understand through scriptures that there is a time period that is prophesied through the Jewish holy days. There is a holiday or a month, a time period in the Jewish calendar called Elul. It's a time when the king comes down off of his throne and goes into the harvest fields with the servants and walks with them and helps them to bring in the harvest. He equips them, he gives them everything that is needed, and he walks and works alongside them. This prophetically is fulfilled in the church age when Jesus Christ himself came down and walks with us. He lives within us through his Holy Spirit and he ministers to us and equips us. He goes out with us into the harvest fields to bring in the harvest. The New Testament even tells us to pray that the Lord of the harvest might bring laborers because they are few though the harvest is plentiful. 
After Elul comes Rosh Hashanah, which is a holiday that is honored in remembrance of the fact that God is coming back again in the end as a judge to bring righteous judgments and that we need to make sure that we are prepared for it. There is a time period leading up to this where men search their hearts to make sure that they are fully repented and in alignment and agreement with the teachings of scripture, that they have forgiven all of their enemies, that they have been kind and blessed those who have persecuted them, that they have given charity, that they have tended to the orphan and the widow, that they have been good stewards of the vineyard that God has left them in, and that they have repented of any known sin to be ready to face the judgment. That time for us as Christians is fast approaching. It is the bridegroom's coming, the marriage supper of the Lamb. But before we get to it, we go through a time of purification. The book of Daniel tells us that great tribulation will come upon the earth, that many might be tried and purified and made white in the furnace of affliction. The word tribulation comes from the tool that is used to beat the chaff away from the wheat, to purify it that it might become suitable to be made into bread, to be the true body of Christ. The tribulant is where we get the word tribulation from. That's why Daniel tells us that tribulation comes to purify the bride. The church of Jesus Christ is forced to choose a side and to separate completely from the world system, which is own rule and run by the Antichrist spirit. During this time period, it will be very difficult for the saints, and many, according to scripture, will even lose their lives as they stand for their faith in Jesus Christ. But there comes a point at the end of this time of tribulation that Jesus steps in and comes to claim those last few remnant of saints that are still there. The word of God says that when he comes, will he find faith on the earth? But it also tells us that when the sign of the son of man is seen in the sky coming, there will be great fear that will fall upon men and that they will hide themselves in the rocks and the dens of the earth for fear of what is coming upon the earth. And many of them, it says, even will die of fright because they are so terrified of what is coming upon them. And it's not Jesus Christ that they are afraid of, but the wrath of God that comes upon the wicked. Jesus is coming to defend his children, to gather them in and to bring them to the battle of Armageddon. But yet somewhere in the midst of this, either before the battle of Armageddon or immediately after it, there is something that is poured out on the planet. And that is the wrath of God that is prophesied in the book of Isaiah. It is a returning to something that will bring a destruction because of the curse that has been placed upon the land because of the wickedness of the inhabitants of it, just like in the time of Noah. So today we need to check our hearts and make sure that we're in right standing, just as the Jews do yearly at the time of Rosh Hashanah. This is an important thing for us as Christians and believers to make sure that we stop and make sure that our focus is not on this physical earth and our possessions and our obsessions because all of it's going to burn up in the end. We need to make sure that our heart is right and our eyes are fixed on Jesus. So in Isaiah chapter 24, starting in verse 1, in fact, if you would like to read it to get the full description, you can read from chapter 24 all the way to chapter 29. We won't be able to read all of it, but we'll pick out key points 
and look at some of what it says and how it describes this wrath, this thing that will come for those who are left on the earth. In verse 1, it says, Behold, the Lord maketh the earth empty and maketh it waste and turneth it upside down and scatter abroad the inhabitants thereof. Now we can question what this might mean. There are two things that it could possibly be alluding to. It could be geological, volcanic, or earthquakes, something massive on a global scale that would involve the entire earth, which would be destructive enough. But this could also be an implication of something larger because there is evidence in the geological record that would seem to imply that there have been times in the earth's past where it has completely flipped its axis and that may be what is actually happening here it could come by way of something astrological like a meteor strike we do know that the book of revelations prophesies that something like a great mountain would be cast into the sea and that it would poison the waters of it and the rivers and that many of the fish in the sea would die this seems very much like a meteorite something like this striking the earth could trigger these massive geological events rather they be earthquakes or volcanic or an actual shifting of the axis of the planet we're looking at something that is so catastrophic that it's hard for us to even imagine it in verse 2, it goes on to tell us that it's going to level the playing field. Nobody's going to be any better than any other. Everyone's going to have to face this judgment together. Whether you're rich or poor, male or female, seller or buyer, borrower or lender, priest or pauper, everyone is going to be equally affected by what is happening. In verse 3, it says, The land shall be utterly emptied and utterly spoiled, for the Lord hath spoken this word. The earth mourneth and fadeth away, the earth languisheth and fadeth away, the haughty people of the earth do languish. And in verse 5 we began to see exactly how we know that these passages are talking about the wrath of God that comes in the very end because he says the earth is defiled under the inhabitants thereof because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinances, and broken the everlasting covenant. The everlasting covenant was the name that God gave to the covenant that he made with Noah regarding the destruction of the earth by wrath. This passage tells us that they have broken the ordinances of that covenant, and therefore, verse 6, hath that same curse come to devour the earth again, that they that dwell therein are now desolate. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth this time are burned, and few men are left. For a little bit clearer understanding that this is something that's coming from the heavens, I think we can look to Revelations chapter 8, starting in verse 7, where it says the first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burnt up, and all of the green grass were burnt up, again giving us the image of Sodom and Gomorrah. But on a global scale, this is telling us hail and fire. Just like the hail of brimstone and fire that fell back then, this is falling on the earth. And it says that all of the grass on the entire planet is burned up and one third of the trees. Then after this first wave of hail and fire, it says a second angel sounded and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. That's what I mentioned earlier. And a third of the sea became like blood. It became red just like in the plagues of Egypt and poisonous. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships that were in the sea were destroyed. And then the third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven 
burning like a torch, and it fell on the earth and the rivers and on the springs of waters. The name of the store was Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the waters because that it was made bitter. The word wormwood means poisonous or bitter, like gall. And then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was stricken, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. For a third of the day did not they shine, and likewise the night. And so we see matching the two descriptions from the Old Testament and the New that it seems like whatever's triggering this event is something that's coming from above, like a meteorite or an asteroid or something to that effect. But it's also causing a lot of earthly geological events. Not only are there great fires burning things up, possibly because that it's even affected the atmosphere, because there is a scripture that says that the clouds, the very sky itself, will be rolled away like a scroll but also that it causes the sun and the moon and the stars to be darkened and to only shine for a third of the day and the night. This would imply that there's a lot of either dust or smoke or both that is kicked up into the atmosphere, which of course would make sense since everything is burning. So that we can begin to paint a picture in our mind of a very dire time. My friend, make sure that you are found hidden in Christ. Going back to Isaiah in verse 6, it tells us very clearly that very few men survive this, though there are some. And I think that's why that the Bible also tells us that in the end, the meek will inherit the earth. Because I think that it's probably most likely going to be those meek, humble, tribal peoples who have stayed away from the big cities and the civilizations and the dainty things of man's creation that will most easily survive this time. And they will, again, replenish the earth because we know that there are cities outside of New Jerusalem that will replenish the kingdoms of the future. The earth will be replenished again by these few men that survive what is coming. Verse 7 says that the new wine, which is grape juice, and the vine, they languish away, and those who had been merry-hearted now sigh. The mirth of tables ceased. In other words, there's not the abundance that was there before this happened. The noise of them that rejoiced ends. The joy of the harp ceases. They won't drink wine with a song. Strong drink shall be bitter to them that drink it. The city of confusion is broken down. Every house is shut up that no man cometh in. Everyone is hiding from this thing that is happening. There is a crying for wine in the streets. All joy is darkened. The mirth of the land is gone. It's an interesting thing that I see in this because that the whole earth becomes very desert and desolate like because of the heat and the burning. But yet Jesus comes down with New Jerusalem and it talks about how beautiful it is that a mighty river will flow forth out of it and that where it used to be desert it will blossom again. And there will be great blessing and outpouring and the animals will live in it and they'll be happy and they won't be carnivorous and the lion will lay down with the lamb and all of this great provision and abundance will be in the land. 
which is actually an exact reversal of what it was in the past because the reason that God chose Israel and brought his people to it was because that it was such a barren, desolate wilderness that they had to learn to be dependent upon him. They had to actually pray to him for the rains. They had to move in obedience or he would take the rains away from them. That's how he trained them to hear his voice and to follow his leading. But yet the rest of the earth was so green and luscious and abundant that it was easy to forget who their king was. But yet in this time it will be reversed. New Jerusalem will be in abundance and it will be inhabited by the righteous. Yet all the rest of the earth will be a barren, desolate desert wilderness. And it says that they will have to come once a year to New Jerusalem to participate in Sukkot or Feast of Tabernacles where they will there have to hear the teachings and decrees of Jesus and learn how to lead their prospective nations rightly and if they refuse to do this then he will withhold the reins from them and in doing so will they learn to follow the leading of his voice just like the Israelites did in their wilderness season. So we see a reversal of the script in verse 12, it says, In the city there is only left desolation, and the gate is smitten with destruction. There will be much destruction. There will be many cities that are left in complete and total ruins from this. In verse 13, When thus it shall be in the midst of the land among the people, there shall be as a shaking as of the olive tree, and as the gleaning of grapes when the vintage is done. So there will be massive earthquakes that are triggered during all of this. But in the midst of it, it says that there shall be those among them who will lift up their voice. They shall sing for the majesty of the Lord. They shall cry aloud from the sea. These, my friends, I believe, are the saints who have been waiting. Verse 15 says that therefore they will glorify the Lord even in the midst of the fires, even the name of of the Lord God of Israel all the way to the isles of the sea from the uttermost parts of the earth have we heard songs even glory to the righteous this is amazing to me that just like Shadrach Meshach and Abednego those who are walking in right standing with Christ even in the midst of the fires that are burning they will not be hurt but they will be singing and glorifying the Lord God Almighty because they know what is coming but for the one who was witnessing this, Isaiah, as he saw this, he said, But I said, My leanness, my leanness, woe unto me. The treacherous dealers have dealt treacherously. Yea, the treacherous dealers have dealt very treacherously. He was referring to hunger, leanness in the body, and the treacherous ones, which implies that there was some work going on in the earth, obviously, probably by the Antichrist government, that did something that provoked this judgment. Verse 17 says, fear and the pit and the snare are upon thee, O inhabitants of the earth. And it shall come to pass that he who fleeth from the noise and the fear shall fall into a pit, and he that cometh up out of the midst of the pit shall be taken in a snare. For the windows from on high are open, and the foundations of the earth do shake. This is a very interesting verse because this is the same language that was used in the time of Noah. It says that the windows of heaven were opened and then the rains began to fall. This speaks of it again which may imply to something atmospheric because we know that there was a time when the earth had a lot more moisture in the atmosphere. Some refer to it as the vapor veil. The air was a lot richer, a lot more oxygen. This is how it was able to sustain larger creatures. 
but something happened in the time of Noah that is happening again here in the end. In the time of Noah, it caused all the moisture in the upper atmosphere to fall down like rain, but it also caused many earthquakes because it says that the fountains of the deep broke up and came up. So there was mighty earthquakes and cracks in the earth's crust. The continent began to break apart from the original single landmass that we had back in the start and the waters from within came up so that it flooded both from beneath and from above. But we see this event happening again with these great mighty earthquakes, the breaking up of the earth's crust, these cities being shaken up, the foundations, it says, of the earth itself are shaken and the windows on high are opened up yet again. Now the moisture that was there apparently in the flood has already fallen, so that's not the event. This time it seems as though it may possibly be letting all manner of heat and radiation in. Of course, at this point, we can only truly speculate to the nature of what's being said in this passage beyond what we read of it, but I think we can make some pretty educated guesses as to the severity of this situation. This is the same language that was used for the destruction of the earth in the time of Noah, and it's going to happen again. Better make sure you're ready for it. How did Noah get ready for it? It says he was a preacher of righteousness. So he made sure that he was in right standing, not only in his own life that he believed it, but also that he preached it. The Bible says to believe in your heart, but also to speak with your mouth, that the heart believeth unto righteousness and the mouth speaketh unto salvation. And you have to make sure that you're able to be hidden in the ark. For us, Jesus is the ark of the new covenant. He already took this wrath for us so that when we see these things coming upon the earth, we need not fear, but we can sing and rejoice and be joyous because our king is coming. But for those who are not prepared, they will see this dreadful day when the windows of heaven on high are opened up once again and the foundations of the earth are shaken. And as it tells us in verse 19, the earth is utterly broken down. And moved exceedingly. Verse 20 says, The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard, and shall be removed like a cottage, and the transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it, and it shall fall and not rise again. Again, this could be referenced to the earth as the ground being moved to and fro as in an earthquake, or it could be referenced to the entire planet rocking to and fro in its orbit. I think the fact that it says that it shall fall and not rise again may give some hint to it actually being moved in its orbit, if not at least on its axis. Verse 21 says, And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall punish the host of the high ones that are on high and the kings of the earth upon the earth. This is a very interesting passage also because I think that it very clearly implies that the kings of the earth are working under the leading and influence of demonic spirits. The high ones that are on high are references to the fallen angels. The same reason that this wrath came upon the earth the last time in the days of Noah. Because of pride, lust, the love of money, of pomp, position, and power, do they listen to them yet again and bring the earth back to the brink of destruction. So does God move against them again in judgment. 
Verse 22 says that they shall gather together as prisoners or gathered in the pit and shall be shut up in the prison. And after many days, they shall be visited. Then the moon shall be confounded and the sun ashamed when the Lord of hosts shall reign in Mount Zion in Jerusalem and before his ancients gloriously. Now, chapter 24 of Isaiah is a summary of the events that are coming. But if you continue to read all the way through to chapter 29, he goes back and he hits on a few things that are going to happen in the midst of it. And we'll look at a few of those things. Now, how do we know that this event, this judgment is actually coming after the time of tribulation and isn't actually just part of it? We know that because of Jesus. Jesus, whenever the disciples asked him, what shall be the signs of the end of times? Jesus gives them Throughout the entire chapter of the book of Matthew 24, I recommend you read it, a synopsis of what will happen. And after telling them of all the things that are coming throughout the tribulation, in verse 29, he begins to describe this situation when he says that immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. This is all what we just read in these other passages. This happens immediately after the time of the great tribulation. Therefore, in verse 30, he says that when this begins to happen, then you shall see the appearing of the sign of the son of man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. And he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together the elect from the four winds of the earth from one end of the earth to another. Now learn the parable of the fig tree. When his branches yet tender, he putteth forth his leaves, and you will know that the summer is nigh. Jesus is saying, learn the signs so that you will know when he is coming. First, you go through the tribulation. Then the wrath of God comes immediately after this great tribulation. Whenever Jesus steps in to gather his elect out of the earth, we see him give us an example of this as was spoken by Peter when he said that what Sodom and Gomorrah went through was an example unto us for those in future generations who would begin to live ungodly again. It says that the moment that God removed Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah, then the fire and brimstone began to rain down on it because that wrath was not appointed unto the righteous. He had to be taken out of it before wrath could come upon it. So we see that Jesus comes after the tribulation. He removes all of his people out of the way of the wrath and then it comes down upon the wicked. Now, not every man is destroyed in this situation as was the case with the flood. It says that a few men are left. That's why the warning is given to run to the mountains. Don't look back. It says, remember Lot's wife. It says, don't try to save your life or anything from it or you'll end up losing your life. Don't come down from the housetop to try to save any of your stuff. Run to the mountains. In fact, if we move down just a little bit in that same passage in Matthew 24, we can continue to read the words of Jesus saying in verse 37 that just like it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving of marriage until Noah went into the ark. Noah, a preacher of righteousness, 
It says not any of them knew what was coming or believed it until the flood came and took them all away. It was a surprise unto them. They weren't waiting for it. They weren't seeking the Lord like Noah was. Going back to Isaiah in chapter 25, he begins to expound a little bit on the goodness of God. In verse 1, it says, O Lord, thou art my God. I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name, for thou hast done wondrous things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and true. In other words, in this moment, we're going to know that every word ever spoken from Genesis to Revelations was absolute truth to every generation. In verse 2, it says, For thou hast made of a city a heap. And the defensed cities are ruined. The palaces of strangers are cities no more. They shall never be built back up again. Therefore shall even the strong people glorify God. And the cities of the terrible nations shall then learn to fear him. This is a good thing, my friend, for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If it causes men to walk in righteousness and selflessness and stop bringing such suffering upon the innocent in their selfishness, then though it come by destruction, it's worth it. Yet through it, God is so good and so merciful. Listen to verse 4. It says that even in the midst of all of this, in the midst of wrath and judgment, God, thou hast been a strength to the poor. A strength to the needy in distress, a refuge from the storm, a shadow from the heat, when the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. Thou shalt bring down the noise of strangers, and in God's mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wine that is well refined. How good is our God and for his people that have been pulled out of it and protected and are with him in New Jerusalem. There is a marriage supper of the lamb happening. There is joy and fullness and fatness and plenty and blessing and prosperity for he has protected the poor and the needy and the innocent and even been a shadow against the heat for those who are not walking in wickedness but for the sinful the prideful the arrogant the unbelieving they are going to drink of the cup of the wrath of the indignation of the lord god almighty Verse 7 says, And he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. We cannot say with any certainty what that means, but it is possible that it could be alluding to the same thing we read in the passage before about the windows on heaven being opened. That this could actually be a destruction of some part of our atmosphere. But verse 8 is the part that really matters because it says that even in the midst of this happening, he will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away the tears from off all of their faces. And the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth. For the Lord hath spoken it. All those who have come against, even through the time of tribulation up until this moment, him and his holy people, he's going to remove away all of the reproach and shame. The people are going to know that their faith was in the right place. And he's going to also use this people to go out and administer grace to those who need it out beyond the gates of New Jerusalem. And it shall be said that in that day, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he has saved us. 
Oh, we have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. What a day of rejoicing that will be. The remainder of the verses in this passage go on to describe a little bit of the battle that Jesus will win against the wicked nations in the midst of all of this chaos. This is most likely a reference to the battle of Armageddon. Starting in chapter 26, it's a song of rejoicing that will be sang by God's righteous people, the faithful ones who have waited for him through everything that has come against them to try to break their faith and steal them away from him. It says, in that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and for bullocks. Open ye the gates that the righteous nation which hath kept the truth may enter in. For thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he hath trusted in thee. I know this is a lot of reading that we're going through and I'm really kind of just giving you the scriptures. But anything that I interpret to you is only my opinion. I can't really give you the absolute truth until that day come and we witness it. But I think that the scriptures speak it plainly enough to paint a picture to us of what the people who are here at this time will experience. And it is something that should be exciting to the true believer, but it should also motivate us unto evangelism because the time is very short. And this will truly be, as it has been described throughout all of history, the great and terrible day of the Lord for those who are not ready. Therefore, as it says in verse 4, trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Let this lesson and message and understanding strengthen your spirit unto endurance, that you may ever seek to be ready for the appearing of our Lord. As you continue to read through chapter 27, it speaks of how he brings down these prideful and lofty cities. How all of these wicked habitations that have exalted themselves against all that is godly and his people throughout the nations are going to be brought down low as the dust walked upon by the poor and the humble and the meek of the earth. But yet those who have waited upon him have become the desire of all nations. Those who have in faithfulness endured through all trial and tribulation, they receive such great reward and adoration even from those that are left among them. The passages again go on to describe a little bit more of the intensity of the battle that God himself wages against the wicked in the midst of all of this chaos that is happening. Then in verse 19, we see something very amazing. We see the resurrection of the dead that is coming it says, thy dead men shall live together with my dead body. This is Isaiah speaking now at this point. He's saying, I'm going to be raised again too. And the dead men who have died through all of the situations leading up to this, they're all going to arise. It says, awake and sing, ye that dwell in the dust, for thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers, and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment, until the indignation be overpassed. For behold, the Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. Can you imagine the terror 
and confusion of those who are not walking in faith. For those who are believing and have waited upon the Lord and still have an understanding and an expectation of what is actually happening here. This is a glorious day. It says that they're going to go into their house and shut the door and just sit there and praise and sing glory to God while this thing passes over them, just like the death angel did in the time of Moses. But can you imagine what's going to be going through the minds of the people that while all this is happening, something extremely astrological, something extremely geological, something very supernatural, and even the dead are being raised in the midst of it. There are people who are singing and praising in the fire and in the chaos. There are cities that are being destroyed. God himself is coming in and tearing down the prideful and haughty palaces and hiding places and fortresses of the antichrist empires of the earth all of this is happening all at one time my friend make sure that you are found on the right side in verse 27 it talks about how jesus will come himself with his great and strong sword and will punish leviathan the piercing serpent even leviathan that crooked serpent and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea I believe this to be a reference of Jesus coming to defeat the Antichrist himself. I think Leviathan is often correlated in the Old Testament with the Antichrist in the New Testament. In the book of Revelations, the Antichrist and his governmental system is portrayed as a beast coming out of the sea. I think that correlates with Leviathan, that it says that at this point, Jesus will come and defeat himself with his own sword. After the destruction of Leviathan, starting in verse 2, we see a glimpse again of the true nature of our Jesus. That though wrath is something that he must do because of his justice, he is a judge and he must execute righteous judgment. It's not who he is. He is truly love and mercy. And it's interesting because he then begins to talk about how he's going to keep his vineyard. He's going to keep his in the midst of all of this, he's going to feed them. He's going to take care of them. He's going to protect them night and day. In verse 4, it says, fury is not in me. It's not who he is. And in a way, it almost even sounds like a plea of him saying, why would you even bring me to have to do this? Because it says, who would set their barriers and their horns against me in battle? I would go through them. I would burn them together. Or rather, let him take hold of my strength, that he may make peace with me, and he shall make peace with me. I think that even in this moment, Jesus is still offering mercy. It says, he shall cause them that came from Jacob to take root. Israel shall blossom and bud. This is where that place that was once a barren wilderness will now become a blessing to all nations. It says that he will cause Israel to blossom and to bud and that it will be able to fill the whole world with fruit. He's going to bring forth productivity out of this place that was once desolation. And then it's going to pour out those blessings to all of the nations. The next few chapters up to chapter 29 give you a few more details on the things that will take place during this time, some battle plans, some things that will happen. But I think at this point you can get an overall view in your mind of what is coming. 
And so I do this lesson today to remind us that there is a final judgment. There is a wrath that will be poured out and we need to be ready for it. We need to be ready in our heart and in our spirit. We need to make sure every day that we are prepared because remember what Jesus had to say when he said it will be just like it was in the days of Noah where they will be drinking and marrying and given in marriage and they did not know that the flood was coming until the moment that Noah went into the ark and shut the door. In other words, everything was carrying on as it was before. But yet when the righteous were removed, when the truth was removed, when the salt which preserved the land was removed, then judgment poured in. And just as it was, it says in the days of Lot, that as soon as Lot was taken out of Sodom and Gomorrah, did it then rain fire and brimstone down upon it. My friend, if you are among the wicked, if you don't know the signs... If you aren't watching and waiting as Jesus commanded, if you don't know the times and the seasons, you will miss your opportunity. And so if you're hearing this right now, then this is your chance to lay your pride down and recognize that today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. You better get it right. God's mercy is to tell you what is coming. God's mercy is to plead with you and say, why would you want him to fight against you? God's mercy is to say, I am a just judge and I have to pay out the judgments at a certain point. The wages of sin is death. You have earned it. I have paid the price. I have made a way of escape from it. Take it before it's too late and remember to maintain your righteousness. Or when that time comes, you won't be pulled out of the way of it. Make sure that you have forgiven all those who have hurt and offended you. Make sure that you have been selfless to those less fortunate than you. Make sure that you have repented of all of your sins and wickedness. Make sure that you are following the leading of his Holy Spirit. Make sure that you are seeking him while he may be found. Make sure that you have put your idols down. Talk to him today that you might be found. To be one of those that are singing and praising when the sign of the Son of Man is seen coming. And not those that are weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth in fear for what they see. Because that they know that they were not ready. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.